0: This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and with me this week, two stupendous human beings, Nick White. Hey. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm so excited to be here to talk about comic books with you. It's been a lot of weird times lately, to say the least, and quite honestly, I'm glad to be back to kind of normal on our show in in a weird way this is the first week we're going to start talking about comic books again in terms of new comics that are coming out so get hyped because new comics are coming out they did come out last week i just didn't realize that so sorry about that folks who were screaming into their their iphones or whatever android devices are at their computer um that microsoft hey, new comic zoom. Books came out what the fuck yeah if you've got a microsoft zoom and you're listening to the show reach out to us i want to buy that zoom off of you Um, But anyways, I've got a question that I want to ask that I ask every single week on the show, which is, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate.
1: I've been good. I have been attempting to grow plants on my porch in pots, and um, I almost killed them twice, but they're fine right now. Nice. Nice. So um, I have been reading quite a bit of of Hoopla comics, as I'm sure everybody has been. Um, the latest thing that I've read was Emma and Violette: A Dream for Three. This is by Jerome Heman, and it's a it's a short French series. Uh, it's really cute. So I I used to dance when I was a kid, which which kind of turned me on to reading this comic. Um, and there's more than one volume on there, but the volumes themselves are very short. Like they're more like are American Issues sizes, like 60 pages, 70 pages. And the plot is that, that Emma is the older, older daughter, and then Violette is her younger sister, and then there's their mom, and that's the three people, which I didn't quite get until about the end of the book. I was like, why are they talking about three people in this <laughs> subtitle? Um, and Emma and Violette are trying to get into this prestigious dance school um, but you slowly learn through the book that Emma really isn't that into dance but she's practicing like five hours a day for some reason and Violette mostly just wants to follow her sister into school but she, she turns out that she actually individually does like all this dance stuff and then the mom is the wild factor in here and it turns out that when she was a kid she was really trying super hard to get into a prestigious school or an orchestra or something. Mm-hmm. And she didn't make it in as, as a violinist. Um, so she's been like my girls, if they want to do this, they have to really be in it. And, you know, Emma's like, but, but mom, but I don't want to. Um, so I won't spoil how, how the comic book ends. And then of course, there's more that I haven't read, um, but it, but it is very cute. So if you like French comics, if you like cute stories, if you like dance, uh, I highly recommend it.
0: Very cool. Very cool. This, this sounds like uh, a really like dramatic series. So I don't, I don't know how cute it is. Like you're saying, <laughs> Oh, it's
1: really cute. It's really French.
0: It sounds like the a very dramatic series. <laughs>
1: yeah I mean, I think that it might be written for kids like the the two girls are probably I mean the oldest one is maybe like twelve or thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the youngest one's probably under ten. so I think that it's probably written for about that age group. so the the art is very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, as an adult, I can totally see where the mother is coming from. and then having been in dance, I know how much how hard it would be to actually get into like a real dance school. Um, right, as opposed right. to my one hour class a week that I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> gotcha.
1: So like, I kind of came, came at it from this more like informed perspective about like okay. the bigger world that the creator was probably speaking from, but the actual story itself is very, is pretty simple and adorable.
0: Gotcha. Well, I will, uh, I'll take a look at that. I, d- I did look it up while you were talking, I should say. And the art is very, very pretty. I mean, it's yeah. it's a very good looking book. Um, but it sounds very heavy. But, you know, I'll take your word for it that it's not as heavy as, as my <laughs> mind is making it out to be. What about you, Nick? How have you been? How have comic books been?
2: Uh, you know, things, things have been good. Um, we're reaching that point of the year where I think people want to go outside and do things. And uh, <sighs> mm-hmm. to those people, um, just stop it. Knock it off. Like, I'm just trying to go outside and walk around my block. And and I just, just, this isn't too much to ask, okay? The few times that I choose to go outside, everybody else, stay inside.
0: (laughs) Dear world.
2: I'm not asking too much, I don't think. But when I see anyone else outside, I get anxious. So just don't do it. Just don't do it um nick how will we do that how, how will we coordinate this i understand that that is a concern um i think i'm gonna get on next door is that the app next door yeah, um, yeah where you like report all your neighbors when their their dog isn't on a leash or whatever that's that's next door right so i will get on there i will block out my walking times and during those periods don't don't i don't want to see your fucking face okay like wow yeah wow nick yeah um things are going great i'm handling all of this perfectly fine that's (laughs) what i tell myself (laughs) i don't ask for outside opinions on that issue because i don't want to hear them um let's talk about comics i feel like i have some element of control in my life when it comes to that um In terms of things I've read, I've got a few little brief things, and then I'll get into a larger work here, one that I'm sure will piss Mike off, so I'm really eager about that. Um, I read Drawing the Vote, an illustrated guide to voting in America, written by Tommy Jenkins, illustrations by Katie Lacker. Uh, This is published by Abrams Comic Arts, which is an imprint of Abrams. Uh, surprisingly, uh, Jenkins is a professor of creative writing and American literature at Lewisburg College in North Carolina. He basically points out at the beginning of the book that he felt his students were very excited and up for participating in the election process in 2008, which of course was the, um, first time that president obama was uh, elected uh and then points out how much people were largely uh, his students were largely apathetic about the voting process in 2016 uh so he wrote this book uh because quote uh, learning the history of voting is to learn the history of political and ideological struggles in america uh and the dramatic changes that shaped the country as we know it today um, Yeah, it's a pretty weighty book. It goes through a lot of different things, um, including how the Electoral College came about because there were fears that um, uninformed um, voters should not be able to – or rather the fear of having uninformed voters – voting on such important processes uh to reconstruction very weighty book i was kind of half awake when reading it and a lot of it was kind of depressing so i don't have anything more to say on it but if you want something informative um and interesting and different i would recommend that book i also read uh lone wolf and cub volume seven cloud dragon uh wind tiger Uh, That's by Kazuo Koike, uh, who wrote it, and Goseki Kojima, who illustrated it. Um, The bad guys finally decide that they're going to round up Lone Wolf as part of a, and I'm definitely going to botch this, uh, a Deisa Goyo, which is a policy. I assume it was real and was a thing where vagrants would be rounded up around Japan and be forced to work in the gold mines or labor camps um unsurprisingly lone wolf uh or ogami ito he isn't real interested in working for people for free or being told what to do um Nick, what is he interested in doing instead a blunt force a, trauma right okay that's that's what and i was sometimes not at. blunt force trauma <laughs> <laughs> slightly sharper than blunt force trauma <laughs> right right uh, um in this book this chapter Rather, this volume, which consists of several chapters, uh, kind of reminded me of another one of these uh, chapters patterns, which is that a lot of them begin in media res with Daigoro. That's his son, Cub, um, already just being abandoned. Like the chapter just begins and Daigoro's all by himself. He's like (laughs) he's like three at the point I'm at in the book. And okay. you're like, and if you're thinking that's that's pretty bad, oh, it's worse. Like he was getting abandoned at like two, I'm pretty sure in earlier volumes, mm-hmm. um, and he's just all by himself. And this one begins with him just balancing on logs in the middle of a, a, a river, like a, a lumberjack. And so basically, a lot of these chapters more or less have the same opening conceit, which is, um, "Hey, uh, where's my dad?" So. Uh, <laughs> Basically, usually what happens is Daigo gets into trouble. Some people try to, like, arrest him or, or you know, again, he's like a baby, right? They, like, try to, you know, capture him or, or use him as a bargaining chip. And then they go, oh, he has warrior's eyes, basically. And they get kind of scared. Um, and that usually keeps the uh, people that are going to endanger him from leaving him alone long enough for his dad to come back and then murder everybody. So I see. Um Okay. <laughs> I love this book like there are so many like recurring patterns and narrative tropes like this that just keep showing themselves over and over again Um, it's a lot of fun but then I do want to briefly say I did read Berserker Unbound by Jeff Lemire art by Mike Deodato Jr. colors by Frank Martin letters by Steve Wand Um, I don't need to say much here about Lemire everybody knows Lemire Deodato's done a lot of Marvel work um martin's colored a lot of De- Dado's marvel work etc cetera, etc cetera. um basically i know mike isn't real keen on this book i mean the conceit is pretty simple you have this guy called the mongrel king he's this warrior conan-esque character who kills everything and he just so happens to be returning home at the beginning of the book and i just have to say this okay this is a public service announcement all right Friends and family of adventurers and warriors abroad. Don't let your family members come home. <laughs> oh, it won't no, end Nick. well for you. Okay. Oh, no, it's not going to work out. Like, remember Luke only played hooky for an afternoon and his aunt and uncle turned into charcoal briquettes. Okay. Oh, oh no, Nick. <laughs> if you're, Husband or, or dad or grandpa is out journeying around the world and they say, and they send you a postcard and it says, I'm coming home, write one back that says, don't you dare. Wait, wait, wait. What about daughters and mothers and grandmothers? Right. I was specifically referring to the specific situation within this text, but yes, obviously this is not completely restricted to husbands and grandpas and 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 fathers that's just the specific scenario for this book don't try to get me in trouble with people here michael A- aunts and uncles <laughs> are fine i just want to narrow down the specific here that's all that i'm wondering <laughs> that's fair that's fair um but yeah this book obviously starts with that very like gladiator slash god of war trope of mm-hmm. honey i'm home everyone's dead um there's some very ornate and and detailed battle sequences in this book, which is clearly Diodato's strength, and Lemire Mm -hmm. is letting him play to that strength. I think the issue is I'm not so sure Lemire is comfortable writing for a book that's more splash page than sequential art driven. And you can even see this in the way that Lemire tries to impose these like artificial panel segmentations with these like white borders that just like he'll have these like, white borders that slash through the middle of what would normally be like a splash page panel and he's just drawn some lines through the middle of it and it's like what's well we don't we don't know if that's Diodato or if that's that's Lemire though that's uh, you know that's a whole
0: probably a team decision <sighs> is my guess
2: yeah well I mean okay someone decided on it and that person made a bad decision okay sure, there sure I just go. don't want to point fingers where they don't need to be pointed that's, completely that's fair um so I don't really like that. I'm not a huge fan. I think that overall to just get at the core of this real briefly, I think issues 3 and 4 are a lot stronger. They do kind of reach a point of ultimately becoming a talking um fueled book that's more about uh sadness and um kind of being able to lean on one another in a time of sadness in order to carve out a new future for ourselves. And I think the potential for volume two of this book is strong. I think the real, real problem is it's so hard to sell people on not even like the first issue is slow to launch, but like the first volume is slow to launch. And whether or not whether or not you can ask people to get on board with that, and even more so, whether or not you should sort of promote works that kind of have this philosophy, I don't know. Um, I, I sometimes wonder if Lemire is finally starting to reach that point where he's spreading himself a, a little bit thin and maybe certain projects are just either not going to be re- revisited or they're going to be revisited quite a while down the line.
0: Right. Well, to me, this this felt like a book that was like, hey, we all happen to have some time. Let's let's put together this four issue miniseries. Right. Or how is yeah, it? Four issues, five issues, four issues, four. Yeah. Yeah. And I, if they do a volume two, I'd be real curious to see what they do that doesn't make this book just a Conan book, because I think it's funny that this book launched, you know, right after the Conan license was moved back over to Marvel. So yeah. it's it's funny to think, OK, Dark Horse, are they going to keep publishing a book that's more or less a blatant ripoff of a pretty well-known character? Or is Lemire going to, you know, twist this very, very hard like he did with all of the Black Hammer stuff to make it so unique on its own? that you couldn't really say that these are the same book. They have similar characteristics, but yeah. they are, by by and large, not the same book.
2: Yeah, and I think that's made even more ironic by the fact that um, Lemire, Diodato, and Martin all met working together on a Marvel book, <laughs> the Thanos miniseries. Right. right. And so for them to sort of meet up and say, hey, let's do Conan just as Marvel gets the Conan license. And then they're like, yeah, let's do Conan. Let's just not do it here and then they go off and go do it at Dark Horse. Um, right. Dark Horse of all places. Uh, um, yeah, that is kind of funny. So, yeah, those are a couple of the different books I read. Um, maybe you're not as as angry uh, about Berserker Unbound, considering that I wasn't totally sold on it either. But I think you maybe were not as or were slightly more upset with it than I was. Um
0: yeah, I I I had a big long rant on the Discord yesterday when we were talking after the book club about this. I I don't necessarily want to go into it again because I You I, can give me like the 30 seconds. But the 30 second pitch is this is a book that I feel like could have been either done as a one shot or could like an oversized one shot like 64 pages or something. Um or it was a book that kind of felt like it had no to me, it felt like it had no purpose. Right. It's it's a telling a story about, sure, like a sad thing, but like what are we actually exploring? Mm-hmm. Like what are we like I Lemire in and his whole team, like they are brilliant creators. Um, it's kind of a question of like what what actually are they trying to say in this book? And I didn't get anything out of it other than Strong Boy Sad. Like, that's yeah. it. Is that the fucking story? Like, I don't really think so. And I know that there's like a, there's a parallel story in the book of the the, the guy that he meets in the forest and they can't understand each other until later in the book when they can. Um, like, I get that there's kind of a, a parallel there that's supposed to be driven, but it didn't feel strong. It felt like weirdly too convenient. Like, I think this is a problem with four issue miniseries sometimes that um, which is funny that I say that now, because when we talk about Firefly later, I have a completely different thought about three issue miniseries. But um, the problem with four issue miniseries is that there seems to be the buildup that you would expect to be played out over six issues. But then it gets cut short in the end. And I feel like that's exactly what happened. Tons of buildup, really quick wrap up. And therefore, the book felt hollow to me. Um, Maybe a second read through will change my mind on that, but I just I didn't feel strongly about it. Um, I was kind of disappointed in the end of it because if if there's going to be a volume two, I literally don't know what else they're going to do other than have more like Conan shit to explore. Or does this guy come back to the United like to the to the Real world and do something else like is he get a job working at the fucking newspaper or something like i don't I don't know <laughs> um so a little weirdly salty about a book that was so beautiful and it, to me felt like it had a lot of promise and ultimately it it felt like it fell flat for me so um, but, anyways, if if you want to hear more rants and raves about this that are in a longer form, jump on the Discord because I get real salty sometimes, especially after I've had baseball whiskey. <laughs> um, but for me, really quick, uh, week's been this past week's been pretty pretty all right. I've uh, got some things scheduled in the mix that are coming up that I'm pretty excited about um, for the show. So more on that probably in June's schedule update. If you're on Patreon, that's a thing. But um, beyond that, I've mostly just been reading a lot of One Piece, um, but I did sit down and read some other stuff. Um, I read The Way of the House Husband, Volume 3. This is a manga come that's coming out from Viz. It's one of the goofiest, almost strip-style comic. It's a, a manga. It's like 11 to 12 pages per chapter. And uh, this is by kusuke Uno. And the story is a former Yakuza like, assassin or he- like heavy hitter uh, decides to one day get married To an office woman who has a a full-time job and so he stays at home all the time and he cooks and he cleans and he does all this stuff. But it's hilarious because he's this weird, and I don't want to say weird, he's this tattooed gangster looking guy who still dresses like a tattooed gangster in like, you know, big suit or uh, what are they called like? tracksuits and stuff and he's got the glasses and chains and stuff, but all of his quote unquote enemies that he's trying to kill and take out are like a roach in the house or the microwave that's acting up or a toaster oven that's brand new and it's (laughs) like it's it's hilarious. And each each chapter you just when you think the joke has been stretched too thin it ends. And it's it's perfectly timed. The first I think volume two I have not laughed so hard at a comic in many many years. Just some of the bits in that are fantastic Um, One of his former lackeys ends up like wanting to learn from him because they're like, oh, he must be training for something great. If he's, you know, given up his whole life to go do this thing, um, it must be super important because he's like the baddest ass dude ever. He's like the John Wick of the Yakuza. Um, Essentially, that's how people treat him. So as the story goes on, he runs into other gangsters and stuff. And this book is drawn as if it was a serious like adult comic. But instead, it's just this goofy story. Um, where this guy has to, you know, he's helping his wife do things around the house, or he's doing all the things around the house and his wife comes home and she's tired. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's really, really funny. Um, volume three is, is a continuation of it. It's like 12 chapters per volume um it's probably one of like i said one of the funniest manga i've i've read in a very long time so i highly recommend it if you just want some goofs um because the art is stupendous it's drawn so serious and then it turns you know the camera will turn around and it'll be like oh he's has to deal with a seven-year-old kid who's trying to sell him cookies um rather than actually a person who's come to his house to murder him um it's and it's written so well like every every joke opens up the same uh, it's very serious until you realize what the actual thing that's happening is is revealed. So. Um, Um, Highly recommend that. The other book that I read was the Ludocrats number one. Like I said, I realized that comic books really did come out last week, um, but we didn't talk about them. So uh, the book that I would have picked anyways would have been the Ludocrats number one. This is uh, Jim Rossignol with Kieran Gillen, art by Jeff Stokely and Tamara Bonvalon. And yeah, this is the wild and crazy book that uh, I think people have been looking forward to for a while. Kieran Gillen has been apparently planning on releasing this book for many, many years. He's been working with Jeff to try to or Jim to make it actually happen. Um, And I think Jeff Stokely and Tamara Bonvillain came in and made this book the wildest and craziest thing ever. Um, Really looking forward to number two because number one barely made a lick of sense. But I think that's because I think between Jim and Kieran, they're trying to be a little bit more unhinged than I think. At least I'm, I'm not too familiar with Jim's work, but I know Kieran Gillen's work uh he's not nearly that unhinged um compared to someone like a Grant Morrison or a Warren Ellis or an Alan Moore or whatever you know these british writers that tend to go off the fucking deep end with wild shit and then somehow manage to wrap it up for good or for for bad um but i think that uh with this series with ludocrat's uh Kieran Gillen is really trying to be a little bit more wild and crazy, and it's very, very clear um, that that's how that's what they're going with, uh, at least in the first issue So I'm excited to read more. I'm sure there's some meta commentary that I'm not smart enough to understand <laughs> um, in this book, but um, for what it is, for what I read, I, I thought it was pretty fun and entertaining. It'll be interesting to see where it goes because the the whole goal of the of the book is you must be ludicrous, you must be wild, you must be. Uh, Not trying too hard, but be insane. And uh, I think that's a pretty fun concept to run with because it allows for cartoony antics at the same time as people having serious problems and discussions. Um, A lot of sex is involved. A lot of um, just asinine things happen throughout. So I'm excited to see how wild and crazy this book gets. But anyways, let's let's talk about comic books that are coming out in the upcoming week. Feels good to say that phrase. Comic books are dropping on May 27th, 2020. What are you both excited for this week? I'm going to kick it back to you, Nick.
2: So for me, we're going to talk about Jeff Lemire again. I know that's a shocking gasp. Uh, so the first volume of Family Tree comes out. This is a series from Image, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Phil Hester, inks by Eric Gapster, uh, colors by Ryan Cody, uh, letters by Steve Wands. The premise is as follows, quote, when an eight-year-old girl begins to transform into a tree, her single mom, troubled brother, and possibly insane grandfather embark on a bizarre and heart-wrenching odyssey across the back roads of America, desperately searching for a way to curse. Jesus, that's not it. Not curse. Desperately searching for a way to cure her horrifying transformation before it's too late. So it feels a lot like Sweet Tooth, honestly. Yeah, I was gonna say that sounds a lot like Sweet Tooth, but it's more
0: about a kid. A kid, I guess. Well, he was kind of a kid in Sweet Tooth. Well, I guess, I guess he was. Sorry, I should say it's more like
2: Sweet Tooth was about the kid. This was more about the family. Sure. Um. Yeah, so it's it's a lot of Lemire's uh, strong points, uh, family stories, stories about rural slash farming slash small town living, um, some horror elements in there. So I feel like it's, it's a lot of what we've kind of come to expect from him. But also, again, as I said, it does seem to harken back to Sweet Tooth more than anything else, which I think is arguably... I was going to say the first title that put him on the map, although maybe that was Essex County. Who knows? Um, I should know. That's the correct answer. Um, so, yeah, I think pairing up with Hester was a smart choice. Uh, Hester's actually no slouch of an author himself. I read his series Mythic, which he wrote for Image a few years ago, and I thoroughly mm-hmm. enjoyed that. Um uh, Lemire uh, describes the book in an interview with sci-fi as a work that quote combines all of my storytelling obsessions into a love letter to David Lynch and Alan Moore, all filtered through Phil Hester's incredible vision and a sprawling, sprawling new horror mythology set against a family road trip against across America in the 1990s, which it's like, geez, like hedge your bets. Like maybe don't set people up for things like, Mm-hmm. maybe it should be like hey this is a book you might like it it's it's possible you won't this is also why i'm not doing marketing for image comics um I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i would encourage people to check out some of the preview art i think hester's art might be a little kind of 90s loose aesthetic for some people. I think sure. it works for this book. I think it's a good pairing for this title. Um but yeah, I'm sure some people will kind of say I don't I don't know if this is for me. But uh I'm 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 pretty on board. I didn't hear much when it was coming out in single issues, but I think also some of those single issues were starting to drop as things were getting a little bit wild around the world and so there wasn't, I think, as much attention there. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited to read this as a collected volume. So I, I remember seeing this and thinking, oh, I'll pick up the collection. I had no idea when it was
0: coming out. My I just really quick before I pass over to Kay, I do have a small story about Phil Hester. Um I was really, really obsessed with his book Fire Breather that he did over at Image. Um short lived series. It kind of lived in the shared, quote unquote shared universe that Image was creating for a little bit that was kind of Set up between Invincible, Astounding Wolfman, um, Tech Jacket, Spawn was in there, Savage Dragon. They all did a big crossover at one point. And Firebreather was another character that I really liked. And I was obsessed with the book. And so I had brought all the single issues that I had... Um, to a C2E2, or no? This was before Firebirder came out. It was it had been announced, but I, I I saw Phil Hester. I had read some other stuff that he had done. I had brought some issues with me that I wanted to get signed from him. And this was at C2E2, maybe like the first or second year, and I had a, like a sketchbook full of of gambits that I was trying to get. Um, and I was poor and I didn't have any money so I was thinking you know I'll just maybe walk over and ask if people do free sketches and so I brought these books up to Phil Hester and I had him saying oh man I really love this stuff I really love everything you're doing and I was like hey I know that you also draw would you be up for drawing like a, a gambit in my book and he looked at me and he looked down at all my books and he said Sure, kid. Hold on a second. Like he was not pleased that I had asked him, but he pulled out a part a permanent marker and he drew this beautiful sketch. Like it took him ten minutes. He drew this beautiful gambit oh, wow. in my um, sketchbook that I have around my house somewhere. Um, but I always treasure that because I I know like. Since then, you know, I always pay for commissions and sketches. I like I have the money to do so. And I always feel bad about it, you know, asking for anything for free. But um, at the time, I was just like, I just want to get some sketches. And there were some webcomic artists who were all for it and they were doing it. So I just I didn't know who was who really. I was just didn't know if this was a regular thing or not. And I asked him and he was he was he was very nice about it. Um, But, uh, yeah, that's my my one Phil Hester story. And one day I I want to get like a massive, a really nice commission from him because his art is in fucking credible. Um, But he was kind enough to give me a free sketch that I will always treasure. Uh, (laughs) So anyways, uh, Kate, what about you? What are you excited for this upcoming week?
1: Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot to pick from. So I was like looking for like some lady mechanic or something to get really jazzed about. But um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't think everybody's quite ramped that quite ramped up that much so but i did find something that i that i think does look very cute and is right down my alley it's called steam volume one it's by drew ford Dwayne leslie and eva de la cruz and i'm not super sure when this is coming out so if you look for it this week and you don't find it try again next week i've seen like four different release dates across different websites for it so maybe it depends on if it's ebook versus library versus physical i have no idea anyway yeah so, We're in weird uh, times right now. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> um this book is about young Arlo who escapes his abusive guardians on Earth and he goes through a steam to a steam-powered planet through some kind of portal and this planet is called Pother and he learns that his long-lost dad helped a corporation on Earth steal resources from Pother maybe on accident. And in order to set things right, Arlo joins a resistance force to try to rid the planet of this corporation and to protect its its uh, indigenous beings. And along the way, of course, he has to learn some things about himself. Um, the The cover art is very cute, and this whole like like sci-fi um, uh, coming-of-age story that is also like protecting. Indigenous beings on this on this new Planet Um, I don't know it's just It it all has it's got all these ingredients to It that make it makes it really sound like something I'd Enjoy Um, and I really like Steampunk and this has some kind Of steampunk influence I'm Not really clear it's geared toward Young young audiences so I imagine It'll mostly just be a fun ride all around I
0: was gonna Say this thing definitely just I would See this on a shelf and I would go that's for Kate Kate, Kate's gonna buy that (laughs) (laughs)
1: well I said I was looking for some Lady Mechanica which is a little bit steampunky and then I found this and I was like yeah this is uh this sounds good
0: (laughs) yeah dude this just I looked up the preview for this um while we were sitting here and I was just like oh yeah this is (laughs) this is definitely your thing not to say that's a bad thing at all but um that's yeah I'm glad that you found something that that will hit that sweet spot for you um, for me, I, I am excited for Outer Darkness slash Chew number two. This is John Lehman with art by Afu Chan and Rob Gilroy. Um, because why not? This book is, I love this book. I love Chew. I love uh, Outer Darkness. I know that um, there is uh, some strangeness when it comes to uh, these books some people really don't like them some people really really do but uh, I love them I'm one of those people and the first issue of this book was wild it's kind of felt like a what if series and I think that that's what this is um, I'm I'm really just rolling with it like Layman knows his characters very well and as a fan of both Chu and Outer Darkness I'm really excited for both of these books to kind of come together as I said um, it's really funny to see Afu Chan Uh, drawing Jack Colby and Tony Chu. I I honestly think it's very hilarious because his style is so drastically different than Rob Gilroy's almost, you know, like cartoon style that he does that looks like something that would be on Nickelodeon in the late 90s, early 2000s, compared to Afu Chen, who has this very, like, modern pastel, like, I, it's still cartoony in a lot of ways, but it feels more modern in style. And uh, to see those two those two styles side by side is very, very fun. Because um, Rob Gilroy does a handful of pages in the chapter in the in the issue, and uh, but Afu Chan does the majority of the book. And the the mystery that they're st- they're solving that requires Tony Chu to show up is very goofy. And uh, the the thing that re- that I really enjoy about this is it's kind of reminding me that Chu and Outer Darkness are not books to really be taken too seriously. Um, And I think Lehman is using this book as a reminder to say, hey, we can do some goofy stuff while telling a really compelling story. Um, And here's proof. I'm going to tell you a really compelling story with the wild elements of Chu somehow scattered into the fucking crazy, weird sci-fi fantasy mix story that I have that is How to Darkness. So very excited to see what number two does. I think this is a three issue mini series. Um, so I hope that Layman has the chops to wrap it all up. Um, but yeah, so if you're, if you're a fan, let me know. I want to hear what other people have to say about this series. Uh, and with that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about one of the biggest, greatest sci-fi series ever made. Firefly. Star Wars. (laughs) Wait a second. (laughs) We will be back. We'll be back in just a quick second. For our show this week, we are talking about the infamous, the one and only television series of great sci-fi renown. Firefly, that originally aired on television in the year two thousand two and two thousand three, but we're not just going to be talking about the TV show. No, in fact, we're talking about the comic books based on this TV show. I think in a previous episode of our show, we did talk about comic books that you know allowed television shows to 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 live on and movies to live on. But today, in specific, we are talking about Firefly because people love this show to death. And I realize it's probably not as popular as Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever, but Nonetheless, I feel like for the current generation of folks, people that have been watching TV and consuming comic books and all these different things and have been to comic book conventions, Firefly has had a pretty decent presence for almost 20 years now. Looking at this number as to when it aired, I cannot believe it that it came out in 2002 to 2003 because I didn't hear about it until like 2007. So I'm I'm just baffled. So I brought together on this episode two experts on the series, people that know maybe quite a bit about it or at least watch the tv show and have some thoughts on it Um, and we're going to talk about the tv show as well as the comics that are based off of the tv show because they're still coming out to this day boom studios is still producing a firefly comic because it still has that much of a pull so kate nick i want to know what your thoughts are i guess i'm going to toss this to kate really quick because kate this was originally your idea you wanted to talk about the firefly comics though i want to know why why did you make us do this today <sighs> <laughs>
1: Well, thanks for doing this with me, first of all. Um, If we have any listeners out there that aren't familiar with Firefly but are still listening, thank you. And I just wanted to summarize Firefly really quickly. The IMDb summary is 500 years in the future, a renegade crew aboard a small spacecraft tries to survive as they travel the unknown parts of the galaxy and evade warring factions as well as the authority agents out to get them. And a lot of people describe this as a Western in space just because there's kind of like this, this tone of... Um, like this this backwater country uh, outer rim of planets um, that it, that is embraced by the the used to be rancher uh, spaceship captain Mal so um, and then there was a crowdsourced movie uh, in September 2005, which was before crowdsourcing was really like a thing on the internet that happened a lot. So good job fans from back then. I didn't even know about that this was a thing back then, so thank you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I thought that movie just came out. That's that's
1: surprising. I didn't yeah. know that either. Um, and then the, the comics were originally published by Dark Horse, um, written by Joss Whedon, the same writer of the show and the movie. And those comics started being released in July 2005, right before the movie came out. Um, And there were a whole lot of breaks in that original run of the comics. There were five volumes and the last volume was released in 2017. So that shows you how big of a break there was between them. Years, years and years. Um, And then the Boom comics that have mostly been written by Greg Pak and are still ongoing were released in November 2018. So that kind of gives you some backstory um, about this franchise. (laughs)
0: I mean, and for this episode, to try to pare things down a little bit, you know, Kate, you picked uh, two books that you wanted us to dig into. Um, we, we wanted to read some of the old stuff, some of the new stuff. So we read the first arc, or at least I read most of Firefly Book One with writers Joss Whedon, Zach Whedon, Patton Oswald, Brett Matthews, Jim Kruger, um, with art by a handful of different people, Will Conrad, Chris Samney, Patrick Reynolds, Fabio Moon. But we focus specifically on the one first three issue volume um serenity those left behind this was by joss whedon and brett matthews with art by will conrad and then we also read greg pox um firefly volume one the unification war um, with art by dan mcdade uh, colors by Marcelo costa letters by jim campbell and cover art by lee garbit
1: yeah so that gave you guys um some dark horse and some some boom uh experience with firefly which i think are really different um Tantier. drastically
0: different yeah Kate, yeah. i have so many thoughts about comparing <laughs> these two books but continue
1: um you you asked me why why i wanted to, to read firefly why i'm so into firefly and and i every time that i watch this show i pick up more in it like for example i've watched this show a dozen times um i rewatched the show in preparation to read the books and this last time through i realized that we see the the gruff uh basically security guy jane we see him forging ids in one of the episodes which like you would never think that this man would be able to forge official documentation and this is the first mm-hmm. time i ever picked it up so like there's just so much these stories are so rich all it's a large group of characters which Joss Whedon is is historically good at writing um and they all have their own individual relationships with one another they're their own standalone character that is interesting and then there's a whole group dynamic and then they're all brought together by this this captain Malcolm Mel um and and he's kind of the glue that holds them together but then I mean especially with these comics you do see them in smaller groups um talking to one another and realizing that they are a family even when when mal's not there um and then the world building is phenomenal i mean you have the the inner rim which is controlled by the alliance and the outer rim which is um there is some correspondence with that's where the resistance is hiding but there's not Mm -hmm, like a mm one-for-one correspondence with like a lot of the outer rim is still pro alliance because it brings them uh, resources, and helps uh, terraform the planets, um, all of that that good stuff with having basically corporate backing, effectively. Um, yeah. Uh, and then you also have some nefarious, more science fiction things, like the um, there are reavers, which are kind of like madmen um, that basically just roam around and murder people. Um, and then you have these assassin girls, and one of them is one of the main characters, River. Um, they're basically they've, they've had a lot of surgeries and a lot of uh kind of like brainwashing training to just be controllable assassins for the alliance so there's just so much ah it's so good (laughs) yeah and i i mean I, i think when this this came
0: out i mean this was riding on the the coattails of buffy having just finished i think um and I, the the series was you know it's been heavily impactful I think lots of folks who were in like nerd circles there there's always going to be the one firefly person who who still sticks to their guns and is still you know toting the series So okay I'm sorry but you're you're that person it's in the fine. circle today um, <laughs> and we love you for it like don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, I we, there are some you know things we we have to acknowledge. You know, Joss Whedon is kind of in like a weird problematic place. Um, so I, I think some of the, the praising of his creation is not necessarily a praise of him. I just want to get that out of the way. Yeah, for sure. Um, at least for in my part. Um, so, but be, beyond that, I mean, the Firefly series is really interesting because I, to me at least, because it's, it's kind of like a weird commentary on like the, the parts of Star Trek that you probably don't see. Um, where if, if, if you're thinking about some of the Star Trek stuff being like the Alliance going out and trying to, you know, group together, um, I have like a whole thing about that, but I guess Nick, I want to, I want to ask what's your background in, in Firefly when it comes
2: to like the show and the comics. Um well, I don't know anything about this, and I don't know why I was brought. no, I'm just kidding. um oh, wait. <laughs> hold on, <laughs> yeah, good news. Uh, I think there was a staffing error for this episode. no, um, so, my experience with Firefly is kind of a curious one, and I don't think it matches up with most people's and by that, what I mean is that. And as much as I want to roll my eyes into the back of my head and hope that they never uh, return when I hear other people say this, um, I actually watched this when it was on TV. And Um, you still kept watching it because I heard that Fox really fucked things up. (laughs) Well, I mean, first off, it was definitely a testament to Fox having not burned me Um as many times as they eventually would over the years. Um, so, I mean, they killed lone gunman, which was my X-Files spinoff, which I really loved. And I think that sort of gave me a little bit of a foreshadowing for Firefly. But that said, um, I mean, if anything else, Firefly is a great Testament to just exactly how much I was living it up in 10th grade on Friday nights. (laughs) Uh, where are you at do you know where your kid is yeah he's watching firefly is a real loser um no i'm just kidding um so i was watching firefly on friday nights which also tells you just how much fox thought of the show that they were going to put it in the death slot 8 p.m friday nights uh it's where uh it's the uh television programming boneyard so to speak and Well, unless you're abc th- really? that's,
0: this is the whole other thing right because for a long time i remember in the late 90s prime time yeah prime time television was you know tgif where you'd watch boy meets world and you would watch sister sister and 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 family matters and i I remember as a younger kid being really excited for friday nights because of course i was young i wasn't like 16 17 i was like 10 11 12 watching these tv shows i did not have anything to do on friday nights and that was the perfect slot for me to do something or watch tv but um that being said for what i think the demographic for what they are aiming for with firefly 8 p.m on friday is probably not the right time If you're aiming for like the 17 to 25 or maybe 17 to 35 um, demographic, you're really not hitting the mark because those folks are probably out doing something on
2: Fridays. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, Fox uh, unsurprisingly super fucked it up. Um, If I remember this correctly, uh, they actually aired several of the episodes out of order. I believe they aired The Bank Job first. Um, which was technically, I believe episode three. Don't quote me on this. And yeah, they aired a couple things out of order because the producers felt that they needed to kick things off with more of a bang and really just have a, a rip roaring start, which mm-hmm. um, I guess is fine, depending upon who you're trying to bring in, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I watched all of it then Um was pretty devastated when I heard it was canceled. Um, and then of course, the movie came along, and what was kind of unique about this era, this time, right? As I, I say it, like it was like 1762, it was like 2004, 2005.
0: I mean, that was 15 years ago,
2: right? right? Exactly, like, that's crazy. Off, yeah, first off, I feel old, second off, like this was sort of at a point where, uh, like and it's not to say that shows that got canceled before Firefly didn't have dedicated fan bases that stuck around like that's always been a thing right but i think certainly in the last 10 to 15 years this idea of shows coming back shows getting revived on different networks shows getting revived on different media platforms like it's all possible now right and and with Firefly we were kind of at that point where Even though the show got canceled, you know, I was able to go out and buy five or six DVDs and harass people who hadn't actually seen it the first time and be like, hey, you know, this means a lot to me. Let's sit down for 17 hours and watch uh, this show or whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think was something that really wasn't as possible before. It's more like 10
1: hours, but that's fine.
2: (laughs) That's close. Yeah, Yeah. That's close enough. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, it's, it's nearly double. Uh, my my <laughs> estimate was so maybe not that close, but yeah. So that was kind of my experience. Since then, I've seen Serenity. Beyond that, my participation hasn't really gone beyond that. So, gotcha.
0: Well, I so I to to just briefly give my history with this. I I didn't know about this show till I think my sophomore year of college. Um, so 2007, 2008, some friends of mine, um, were like, Mike, you've never heard of this show. And I was like, no, why would I never watched, never really <laughs> watched TV. Um, uh, and that was true. I didn't really do a lot of TV watching. I watched more movies and stuff when I was in high school, but, um, I ended up sitting down and watching the show, I think in a weekend with my friends and I was blown away by it. You know, like the, the ability to do like a network television um, style sci-fi show and have it feel so compelling. Like I'd never seen anything like that before, and I'd never seen Buffy. I'd never seen anything else that Joss Whedon had worked on, um, and so I was I really loved it, and I was super bummed that it had been canceled because there's so much story to continue so many open questions by the end of the, even the first season and then of course I, I saw the movie and you know seeing the end of the series like you know people wanted it to come back and wanted it to get revived but you know the cast and the crew and you know even writers Joss Whedon and, and company you know they said well Serenity is the end of the story like that's the, we've decided that that's the way that it's going to be done um which is a bummer, but. um, You know, I I accepted it and moved on. And the fact that it still carries on to this day, people are still wanting, you know, Malcolm Reynolds style stuff. They still quote things. The Firefly class, you know, ship is still getting printed on t shirts and posters. And people are still doing mashups is a testament to how influential a single series was. And I think you can probably see that influence across the medium of comics and television, where you can do these character like studied style shows where. Um, you've got or group dynamic style shows where you've got a, a very rich cast of characters and their inter interplay between each other. When you pair two or three of them, or you group two or three of them off together, you tell a totally different story than if another you know group of three were telling the same in the same situation because of how varying each of the characters are. But the fact that they all come together you know, on this one ship under this one person. Um, I mean, Firefly has this strong theme of, of like family and loyalty. Um, and I think one thing, Kate, you didn't mention kind of summing up the show is that there is this backdrop of a former massive civil war that had happened, um, al- among this coalition of planets, right. Where there were the brown coats versus the Alliance and the Browncoats who are seemingly at least painted as the good guys. Um, uh, at least from the perspective of the characters in the story, um, they lost the war and they have to deal with being on the losing side of the war um even if they feel that they were you know completely in the right and their al- alliance or allegiance to this this rebel group quote unquote rebel group, um, is kind of like a black mark on them, and the fact that our main two of the main characters, Zoe and Malcolm, um, are always wearing their brown coats around is kind of like a it's like a faux pas in in culture, and it, they know that if they show up in the wrong place with these colors on, they can end up in a lot of trouble just for being you know even sympathizers to the to this uh to the brown coats. so uh it's a, it's a really interesting perspective to put all the entire crew and the majority of the cast in this underdog position where they're always in the chance of being hunted down and i think it makes for really compelling television the question is does it make for really compelling comics um and that's kind of what we're here to discuss you know even you know 15 minutes into discussion um I, I'm curious to know, you know, based off of the comics that we've all read, do you guys think that these comics worked? Um, and we can talk about comparing the Boom stuff to the to the Dark Horse stuff in a minute. But um, what did you guys think of the comics overall? Um, I guess I'll kick back to Nick since you are the person that seems to have, um, you know, you're kind of in the same boat as I am. I didn't really read anything up until this episode. So um, what, are, what were your thoughts on having seen the show and then reading these comics?
2: I, I think obviously the comics are are. Both trying to do very different things and coming from very different places, I think. Um, with the with the um, Dark Horse comic, you've you've certainly got this one that's deliberately trying to serve a very specific function, which is acting as sort of a bridge between the show and the film. Uh, and I think it does that very well. Uh, it certainly um walks talks and feels like firefly i think um but again i don't think it was trying to do anything wildly ambitious i think it had a specific goal that it was trying to achieve and, and it did that um i think the tricky thing and again this is like personal art aesthetic preferences getting rolled out here but mm-hmm. um i felt Obviously, Conrad for Dark Horse was attempting to do realistic likenesses, which is always, 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 always super tough. We've seen this quite a bit in modern years with uh, different artists attempting to tackle this with Star Wars. Um, And so we've, we've gotten kind of an interesting kind of a little amount of insight into that recently. And I think for me... Cause like the tricky thing about likenesses right is that you can be 90% right and it's still going to look off and it's still going to stand out and it's possibly still going to bug you. And I think for me, Conrad doesn't totally stick the landing. I've seen worse. Lord only knows I've seen worse. For me, there were definitely some character likenesses that were sort of off and it's not that they were all consistently bad. But there were a few where I was like, I don't know. um I feel like his I feel like his <laughs> Zo was uh, I feel like Zoe was good. Jane was passable, but Mal and Wash really felt off for me.
0: Well, I mean, but they they still captured like the, Maybe not the exact likeness of the actors, but they still captured the the overall look. Right, you you've, Mal is always in his brown coat, and when he's not, he's in suspenders in a white shirt. You know, washes in Hawaiian shirts the entire time. Jane is always dressed up like a military action fighter. Like it, it, it works enough for the,
2: so that you don't get any of the characters. Like confused, if you're saying least. that the wardrobe is properly done enough to provide context clues when the facial expressions and 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 whatnot aren't totally on point. Um sure yeah i'll give you that that's fine yeah yeah um, that's that's what i'm getting at. i honestly i really really like dan mcdade as an artist um he drew the boom stuff and i liked his approach a lot more which was that he totally went more for stylized um and i yeah. i'm just more of a fan of that uh personally um I'm not sure what it is, if it's like a British artist thing. But like if you look at someone like Mark Lamming's artwork, Dan McDade's artwork, um, I think they're all British. They're all UK. Let's just say they're all UK because I'm not certain they're all British. They're all UK artists. But like sure. Mark Lamming, Dan McDade, Brian Bolland, like they all have this super heavy inks and shadows sort of shading. I don't know if it's like a school of art or something that they're all kind of learning over there or something but like i noticed that a lot with mcdade's work and i thoroughly enjoyed that i also felt the color palette of the boom was much more deliberately in line with the show um agreed i absolutely agree with that so
0: yeah um yeah, Kate, what did, what did you think? I mean, you're you you're a diehard fan. This is where I'm putting you and <laughs> classifying you as. Um, what were your thoughts going into a lot of these comics? I think you've read quite a bit more yeah. than Nick and I have.
1: Yeah, I've read almost all of them that have come out. There's a few things that I haven't gotten my hands on. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that the, the original Dark Horse run... Um, that started being released around the time of the movie. I I agree that that is a lot more realistic. They were trying to make the characters look like the actors. And I think that they did a pretty good job. I do agree that I had some trouble with uh, recognizing wash the first time I read this. I remember that. Um, But after, after having watched the show in preparation for this and then gotten right into that run of the comics, I I appreciated it. Like I, I recognized everybody. I thought that the art was really clean um, and colorful, like vibrant, uh, colored. Um and then going to the boom the boom comics, those are more abstract, more stylized, which was really jarring after reading <laughs> after reading same. the dark horse stuff.
0: Yeah, I read them in that order too and I, I felt the exact same way.
1: Yeah. And I mean if I had just picked picked up this this boom run at a shop, I'm not super sure that I would have that I would have bought it because I'm I'm I like that more realistic clean look rather than a more abstract look but it does work like once i got into the story i did appreciate that things weren't quite as clean like it helped keep the action moving i guess for me like it being a little bit more more of a sketched look Mm -hmm. um and then the the original run um the original dark horse run i feel like that that was more to bulk out the existing universe like to to fill in the empty parts in the timeline or to answer questions that that longtime fans have had and then there was this really um i imagine that it would have been an awkward transition for anybody that hadn't watched the show and the movie both because um there's a huge gap in the timeline of in the comics where the movie was at So you suddenly, you go from volume two, which like, I mean, spoiler alert in the movie, one of the main characters dies and you Mm -hmm. suddenly he's gone in volume four. Like they, they talk about him not being around anymore. And if you hadn't watched the movie, um, it would be like, where did this guy go? Did he, did he just like leave them? I don't even know if they mentioned that he died. They're just like, he's gone. So, so that was a little bit awkward. Um, but, um, the the boom run kind of stands on its own two feet like i don't think that it really needs to be uh, considered as part of a larger universe obviously it would help if you did you'd get more of the backstory like why there's some awkwardness between some of the characters um Mm -hmm. but i've read the first three volumes of it it's called the unification war and it it talks about well it covers the, the quote unquote current timeline of Firefly that we see in the show um, before the movie where like it's, it's ongoing. It, it also falls within that, that timeline that we're familiar with, but the characters are, you see more of their memories of that civil war um, that is the background of this whole story. And it kind of influences current events more than it has before. So you kind of see like they're like almost PTSD type um visions or memories and then they have to yeah. deal with them they talk about them a little bit more um but i've watched i've read the first three volumes of this and it is an ongoing big plot line throughout all of these books like the characters get split up um you don't know like the the books end on cliffhangers people aren't together like there's like i i know where the story where the story has to end if they stay canon with the movie because they all have to get back together for the movie no one can die before that but like, yeah man it's it's its own it's its own story
0: <laughs> yeah i was actually genuinely surprised that this the vol- the first volume that greg Park had written um ended with like a cliffhanger it, it didn't even resolve as the end of the volume i, I was genuinely surprised by that um But it seems like, you know, the unification war thing keeps going. Um, I did feel like that they were hammering pretty damn hard on the whole you was in a war and you saw some bad shit. Uh, But I think that's (laughs) also like a continuation of like I had read a bunch of the old Dark Horse stuff first and that kind of gets brought up every once in a while. That's a thing that's, you know, pervasive throughout the whole TV show, I think, mm-hmm. as well as the comics, you know, that Mal and Zoe have some pretty bad shit in their past, and they are trying to get past it, and they're trying not to let let it haunt them, and yet it keeps coming back, um, which, you know, that's, that's an interesting plot. I, I think that there is some good story there, but um, the fact that it is so – it felt very heavy-handed um, in this first volume from Boom – Um, I was kind of just like, all right, there are, there are other things to do, right? The other characters in the story aren't necessarily just side characters. They, they actually have fully fledged story bits, which I thought was really interesting that in comparison to the dark horse stuff that Joss Whedon had written, I think that he was able to give everybody the amount of screen time, like quote unquote, that they needed in order to allow them to spread their wings equally throughout the run, um, even just in the one three issue volume that we read. Um, uh, Cause I had read the other stuff. I read like the shepherd book one or the shepherd's tale one, shot. I read the Chris Samney one shot that he drew. Um, and I really liked everything that I read in the dark horse stuff. It felt like natural continuations or little asides, like a, almost like a BPRD or a Hellboy like, Volume where it's just like a little little story inside the shared universe um, that doesn't necessarily connect to the other stories that are in this contained volume or in other volumes. Um, so and I, so I think to that end, I actually really like the Dark Horse stuff more, but. I think that's it's two different types of approaches, yeah. right? I think Boom is trying to say, okay, we only have so much timeline that we can potentially write stories in because we know that if we're keeping the continuity the way that it is, that it has to eventually get back to the movie. And if it has to get back to the movie, well, then things dramatically change and we lose a main character. So... <clears throat> We probably shouldn't try to avoid that. Instead, we need to make all these stories last a little bit longer. So, you know, rather than them just wrapping up individual arcs, six, you know, six issues at a time, um, I feel like the natural or the thing for them to do is to j- drag them out a little bit. It sounds to me like it's enjoyable, Kate. But um, having only read the first volume, it felt like, oh, this is just going to keep going. This one mission or quote in my mind, this one episode is just going to take a little bit longer than in previous runs of this series.
1: Yeah, I felt like the uh the original Dark Horse run was just like individual capers basically. Like every volume kind of stands on its own. It could be its own episode, yeah. it maybe a long episode, but <laughs> um Sure, sure, sure. And then this new one is just its own. It's its own series basically, just in it by itself. Yeah. Um I do I do think that you're right about the original, the original Dark Horse Run does a better job of making all of the other characters, other than Mal and Zoe, ha- like stand alone. Like they, they are still individual characters. They still have their individual individual stories, and you see those stories versus the the current Boom Run. Um, you still see them in the background. Occasionally, they they do still get kind of split up and they have to take care of things, but it's really focused on Mal and Zoe um because mm-hmm. even even when the, the party is split like like in D D, um <laughs> never split the party <laughs> um mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. still like zoe is still basically running one part of the story and mal is still basically running the other part of the story um but we do also get new characters which you don't really see um in their dark horse run you we're just working with the established characters um, on that mm-hmm. one, which is still great. I mean, you still get to get filled in um, different parts of uh, the TV show that you never really found out like the end of like a side story or something, or you wanted to learn more about somebody. And that's great. That's cool. I, I loved that. Um, but it is really nice to have some fresh faces that, that these new creators can just work with and give them their own story. And it's fine if they die because that adds a, I mean, like it's fine within canon that they die. And then while you're reading the comic book, it adds a level of um, unknown. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You don't know if someone's just going to either die or they're going to go off somewhere else in space. I mean, it's the same thing that I think a lot of other licensed books have a problem with. I think the one that we're going to keep coming back to is Star Wars because I think it's the most prevalent. but. You know, Star Wars has that same thing where they can introduce plenty of characters, but it's a matter of they need to either be completely gone or dead before, you know, the timeline syncs up with the rest of the movies. Right. I think this is the thing that, uh, you know, Jason Aaron probably struggles with when he was working on uh, the stuff that took place between uh, New Hope and Empire Strikes Back is like, okay, I've got, you know, 12 or 15 volumes that we can write here, um, but we need to make sure that it all wraps up nicely so that the characters end up where they need to be before Empire starts. But yeah, I, I don't know if that's it, the, the continuity with with Firefly, I don't think is nearly as um, <laughs> obsessed with as, you know, something like Star Wars. But it does make sense. They eventually have to get to that point, um, assuming that boom is going to keep this, st- you know, the storyline the same.
1: Yeah, but yeah, I um I do feel like either one of these series would be a lot for somebody to get into that hasn't seen the show or isn't already invested in it because unification war, the the boom series, it just picks up and it goes at full force, like, like full speed ahead. Um, it's, it's very action heavy um, and it ends in a cliffhanger. So you're going to want the next one ready. Um, and that right, just keeps right. going. Like it just keeps going like that. Um, and then the better, um, better day is the, the dark horse volume. Um, it's great. I don't know how well it would stand alone to somebody who hasn't isn't familiar with the franchise already. Um, I'd be really oh, yeah. interested to hear from somebody who picked this book up, up without being familiar with the rest of the story. Yeah, I think that Dark Horse
0: volume has a heavily reliance on you have seen the movie or you've seen the TV show you now you can read this. Um Whereas I think Greg Pak in his his run at Boom, he tries really hard in the first issue to, like, establish all the characters' relationships. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah. really ham-fisted. And, like, like to the point where, like, people are like, you know, Mal, you really need to tell Anara how you feel about her. And, like, it's clear that Zoe and, and Wash are married and, like, the doctor and... and uh, Uh, River have some weird mystery thing going on and River's kind of zany and Jane is gruff and like they they establish everyone really quickly with like just these very in your face definitions of the characters which uh, I took to be a little jarring but I guess if you haven't read anything from Firefly before maybe you need that Um, Nick I don't know if you had that same feeling when you were reading
2: the boom series. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of stuff about the war, that's true, um, but I did like how they handled it. I think that typically with a lot of flashbacks and a lot of other books or just typical flashback techniques within comics or like sepia tone or maybe things are a little bit faded or subdued, you know, it's like the the typical like doodaloo, diddle didloo thing, you know, that you have on TV. Yeah. And yeah. I think that the Boom book really captured well what you got of what you got a little bit of in the show, not a lot, uh, because obviously Firefly didn't have a massive budget. Although it was still massive enough that it's part of why it got killed. Um, but like you didn't have these huge war scenes, but you had these you know snippets here and there that were these like you know all of a sudden out of nowhere like this rough snap cut to like this war scene, and it was jarring and it was bright and it was terrifying. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I felt like the Boom books really captured that um like sudden snapped like a war flashback where it's like it's not peaceful it's not sepia tone right it's like vibrantly like yellow and red backdrops and uh, yeah it's terrifying and it's sudden um and 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 i thought that was done really well to be honest um i will say this though um and and boom you can you can correct me if i'm wrong but like if you guys need like some like consultant work on your editing, just let me know because the credits for your book say that it includes Firefly one through three and Firefly bad company number one. When in fact, I'm pretty sure that your book is Firefly one through four because the bad company issue is about Saffron and I did not read anything about her during the course of the volume. Yeah, same. So, yep so get at
0: us yep <laughs> um yeah i i guess um i don't know i i we could probably talk back and forth about these books for a while but i mean i i my real final thoughts about this book um are unless there was anything else you guys wanted to get to but my my final thoughts is that you know firefly to me is like a really fun episodic in my opinion response to Star Trek that adds like a dash of harsh reality into the idea of space exploration, kind of removing all the notion of advancement in exchange for like a disproportionate representation of tech growth and culture separation as shown by like the wild West feel of everything. Like as I don't know, maybe Whedon was trying to get at this commentary of like society kind of breaks down due to rapid expansion that resulted in this Western style society of people just trying to limp by um with little money, but with this advanced tech that requires a lot of advanced understanding and and, and price. Um I don't know if that was what he was going for, but that's kind of the way that I've always taken Firefly as like we expanded too much and like wealth distribution doesn't come along with advanced expansion. And so You end up with people who are like, you know, Mal's family who are ranchers because they're sent to a planet to say, all right, grow a bunch of animals, grow a bunch of, you know, plants and stuff like that that we can harvest because this is going to be a harvest planet that's going to send ship, you know, things off to the bigger cities and everything kind of like. You know, if we think of it like an American sense, you know, you have areas in the country that are just farmland, and there's just miles and miles of grazing land for animals, um, or in a lot of cases, miles of of warehouses where animals live um, to you know feed the rest of the country. Um, it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people all end up in like these happy advanced situations or these ha- happy advanced lives where they have all this nice tech and they have the ability to live as well as people that live in like the core planets. Um, so I, I really have always appreciated that about, about Firefly that it's like people have to still survive in this advanced tech world, but maybe they aren't themselves culturally as advanced as, as, as some other people. And I don't mean that as like an, in a derogatory term, but like, or in a derogatory way, but it is interesting to see that people still fall back on these ideas that i think are prevalent in like a western society of bartering and and robbing and all this other stuff and it helps that i think whedon and co you know they took this idea of well they would have a lot of horses they would have you know wheel Uh, They would have like wagons and stuff like that for transport because it's all easy. It's all simple machines. We don't have to invest in bringing fuel and stuff if all we need is animals. Um, Therefore, we kind of fall back on this idea of having, uh, you know, a jet engine ship, but also there are horses. Um, So I've always appreciated that that clash between um, Western and sci-fi in a way that feels like a way that something that you could explain away in in an interesting way without it being like forced upon the viewer and the reader in this case. Um, But I don't know. Do you guys have any final thoughts about Firefly? Because I just wanted to get on my soapbox really quick. (laughs) Uh
2: Um,
1: My final thoughts are not nearly uh, they don't sound nearly as nice as (laughs) your analysis which was very good um i guess if you are just a casual firefly fan and you're not sure that you want to get super into the comics because there are so many of them um i do recommend the the free comic book day 2016 comic it's a short um just a single issue it's called the warrior in the wind and it's basically um river is babysitting and she tells the story of um the very general story of the firefly crew through through the movie um very quickly but in like these really fantastical almost like robin hood type terms and it's it's just a delightful little little story um that hopefully you can still find for free somewhere very cool
0: very cool what about you nick any any last thoughts on firefly is you going to pick up all the books now
2: <laughs> um you know if if anything else i think I might at least continue the boom series. I think, um, what, what's really interesting and I kind of touched on it maybe a little bit, but you know, sometimes when you have a franchise property get shifted between publishers or things like that, uh, not only is it not a super like peaceful or amicable one, but, uh, Frequently, you end up in situations where things end up going out of print, right? Or it just becomes harder to get your hands on things, right? And I do think what was really unique and interesting about this handover, um, was that not only did Boom get Whedon on board as a consultant, which maybe that means that he, you know, he gets his name on a check every month, and maybe that's it, but that aside, um, they, they got the rights to actually republish all of the Dark Horse content, which mm-hmm. was kind of a win-win. Um, but what became even more interesting is that they actually retained the Dark Horse books as canon. And I found that really fascinating because frequently that is exactly the opposite of what you see right normally you're like all right you had your fun and and we 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 had this with with dark horse handing um (laughs) we had it with dark horse handing over another franchise uh called star wars uh when they Mm -hmm. gave it back to um marvel and marvel went all right you had your fun uh pretty much everything you did was all a fever dream it never happened uh cool um Except for when we want to pick and choose little bits and pieces that we want to keep. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I do find it really fascinating that you can kind of juxtapose that with this, where Boom said everything that happened with Dark Horse is canon. Like, all of that yeah. took place, and we're just going to build around what you built. I don't know. I found that really interesting. Obviously, it's not a one-size-fits-all um strategy. But in terms of like the dumb little parts of comics that I find kind of fascinating, I did find that really interesting because I know you and I have had a ton of discussions about kind of the the tricky nature of sort of what you got at earlier, which is, you know, you've you've got comics that you need to write and you have, you know, an allotment of two or three arcs. But by the end of the third arc, you know, character X, Y and Z, you know, they can't be dead and they need to be on this planet because that's when the movie takes place. And so I I did find that really interesting that boom in some ways, willingly and effectively made things a lot harder for themselves, which (laughs) I don't, I found that very fascinating and I do wonder, um, and I think Kate got at this and I haven't read enough to know that this is true, but dark horse basically was telling stories on both ends right so they were they were telling stuff leading up to you know preceding the show following the show preceding the movie following the movie and it seems like boom is as far as i've read like what preceding the show right and that's the only sort of
1: uh it could be i've i've been interpreting it as taking place between the end of the show and the beginning of the movie but it could be yeah um, well
2: because river and the in the doctor are on the on board oh, so it yes. Has the, yeah. yes, yes 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 that's yeah I was gonna say that that takes the guesswork right out of it yeah mm, yeah that's true but um so i I'm really interested to see if boom given that they've made all of the dark horse stuff canon I'm very curious to see if boom tries to go and try to tell stories following the content that dark horse did so I don't know i I, I think this is an interesting kind of this is the part of comics I always find kind of fascinating. Cause it's like, how do you, how do you yeah. put the puzzle? How do you break the puzzle apart and put it back together? You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm um, Kate, thanks for bringing this to the table for us to talk about. um We're I think that, I mean, this is, this is, firefly is a weird thing because i i never thought that i i had so much like love and care for it until i started reading these comics and i didn't need to be reminded of anything like so much of that story is still like very heavily embedded in my brain i like i knew every all the characters i knew their names i knew what their personalities were like so as i was reading it i can tell when things were right and when things were wrong um and for the most part everything felt really right um so i was i was very pleased with everything that we read so thanks for bringing this to the table again yeah um Anyways, you know, you can follow us all on the internet. You can follow Kate at Kate Elfier. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow me at Mike Rappin. These are all on Twitter. you can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at IRCB Podcast, where I try to post things pretty regularly, sometimes previews of episodes and so on and so forth.
2: This show and our many subscriber-only episodes are powered by fans like you on Patreon. You can join now at patreon.com forward slash ircbpodcast. And if you haven't already, please rate and review our show. Five stars would be great on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Join us on Discord at ircbpodcast.com slash Discord and make sure to tell a friend or two about the show.
0: Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander is a really cool guy. Just, just a fun person to talk to. Um, he's He's just great at presentations and he does the editing for the show thank you so much xander and thank you to nick and kate for all the hard work you guys put in for this episode and as always and for being on the episode and thank you to all the fans out there who listen and and have hung out with us on discord it's been really fun doing our book club um, on discord i've been really enjoying that so until next time keep safe wash your hands comics are good and so are you